We would like to read now from 1 Peter chapter 4, and I invite you to stand. And bow your heads for prayer, and then we will read this passage. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that we have here before us again this morning. The opportunities to be your light and your witness and your testimony to the world around us in our communities where we live, whether it's here, Perry County, or elsewhere. I uh, pray your blessing on, on the church there as they begin next week and uh, continue to grow. Pray your blessing, too, on CJ as he uh, heads to New York City tomorrow to begin his training program there. And I pray your direction in his life as he continues to seek your will for what you have beyond that time. And may he feel our support as a church here behind him, uh, just uh, supporting his uh, vision and zeal to spread your word and your testimony to the world around us. Lord, I pray your blessing on Dave as he preaches a message here this morning. Pray that your spirit would be free to to work through him and communicate through him in a way that is not hindered. Pray that each one of us would be receptive of your word here this morning as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter chapter 4, begin reading at verse 7 and read through verse 11. First Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch on to prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. My subject today is on the uh, subject of encouragement. And uh, I realize that we live in a world today, and our world as much as ever is crying out for, for love to be expressed, and I feel like there is no better people that can express genuine love than those who have experienced the love of God in their hearts. And like I said, our world is crying out for this kind of love, and one of the ways that we can express love is through encouragement. Besides that, we also have a need of encouragement in our own lives. All of us need encouragement. We, we, uh, we want interaction, we want love from other people. That brings healing, that brings unity, and that comes sometimes by way of encouragement. Now, God has given us, created us in a way that we want to be loved. And besides that, by, by design, by creation, we also want to love. And that's a neat uh, thing as you think of it, to love and to be loved. And when we do that well, especially as Christians, 
there's a circle, a cycle that becomes uh, complete, and uh, it's the way God intended for us to, to live our lives and to interact in that way, to love and to be loved. And I'm sure that if you've taken the time to turn off the music in your house, or if you've taken the time to sit in your favorite chair, or you relax in your bed before you drift off to sleep, if you're sensitive to the cries of your heart, then I think you can encounter or you have noticed this thing in your own life. We want to be loved, and we also want to express to give love. It's unmistakable. It's a phenomenon that I'm talking about that's in the heart of every person. And that is that strong desire to be loved. And if you observe, like I said, even closer, and that's in many ways equally desire, strong desire, and that is to love. To love and to be loved. I think it's two of mankind's basic desires. Most times in our lives, we are shaped by this, by this phenomenon. We're shaped by people who love us or people who refuse to love us. Or another way of saying that, conversely, we are also shaped by people whom we love or by people whom we refuse to love. It shapes us. Dr. Carl Menninger was a famed American psychiatrist and author. And he found that people are able to give and to receive love. People who are able to give and receive love generally live healthier lives physically. And that's, of course, from a general standpoint. They recover more quickly from their illnesses he says. And in contrast, those who lack love often develop personality scars and perhaps early deaths. That's a well-known fact, and well, studies have proven over and over that children who don't receive lots of love from adults in, let's say, the first two years of their lives often have deep emotional scars as a result of that. And it deeply impacts that individual. Even later in life, it's critically important for our emotional, for our physical, our mental and spiritual well-being to be able to give love and also to receive love from other people. <clears throat> One of my reasons for bringing this into the beginning of the sermon by way of introduction, is that I have come to firmly believe that many times we are the ones who make a choice in this matter of loving and of receiving love. And while it is very true that we sometimes offend people, we hurt others sometimes without trying, it is also true that we're not merely a glob of cells that are floating around and bouncing around like a pinball of some kind, and that in some way or another, we're consigned to receive all the resentment and unforgiveness that's out there in the world. We, we choose, in, some of the, in, in this matter, we, we choose how we go about returning good 
when we've been treated badly. We choose to remain resentful and unforgiving. And in that same way, we also choose to put our love into action. In that same way, we are the ones who choose. We're the ones who make a decision to, to express love. And especially today, one of the ways that we express love's love is by way of encouragement. For some people, this is slightly more natural than others. Certain personalities are just much more inclined to, to verbalize, to, to um, express love by way of encouragement through notes or acts of service or that kind of thing. But again, we choose how we go about this, especially in the area of giving love to other people. And we do that in direct connection with our ability to receive love from others. It's a cycle, a circle that becomes complete, especially when we give it, when we give love. <clears throat> it's a circle of action that demands a choice on our part, where we enter into it, where we participate in, in the cycle. It demands action. And what our world needs today is this love in action. It needs encouragement. We need encouragement right here in our own little uh, circles, uh, in our families, and in our neighborhoods, in our cities and towns. We need encouragement. Romans 5 verse 5 talks about the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts. And that comes by way of the Holy Spirit being in our lives. And I, I think just at the outset here, I want to clarify as best I can that the only way, the only way for us to really in, engage in this active love, to have any chance at a lasting impact, we need to have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to have the transformation that God has gives and that needs to be implied or applied to our lives. And when God's love is shed abroad in our hearts, it is then, and especially then, that we have a chance to, to stir others to, to give and to receive love. <clears throat> and again, one of those ways, one of the ways to express active love is by way of encouragement. And I've chosen today to especially speak on that aspect of loving, the power of encouragement. <clears throat> I'm sure that in these past few moments, as I've spoken, perhaps there is an experience or something that sticks out in your mind, something that you received by way of encouragement from a person, another person in your life who faithfully spoke something or wrote something or did something and you received the encouragement that was um, designed, perhaps intended or not, you received, you got what they were trying to communicate. The good feeling that comes as a result of being encouraged. The dictionary describes encouragement as the act of inspiring others with renewed courage, with renewed spirit, and renewed hope. The act of inspiring others with renewed vision, renewed spirit, renewed hope. In the New Testament, there are numerous words that are translated into the English that come from the same Greek word. And the, the Greek word, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this exactly, is something like paraclete. 
parakalia or paraklesis. It's the same word in maybe different forms. And the Greek word, it's a compound word. In our English language, we still have the prefix para, P-A-R-A, and that means to come alongside. When that's used in, a, in our uh, English language, it means to come alongside. It does in the Greek as well. The rest of the word, the Greek word, parakaleo or paraklesis, means to call. So transliterated, the definition means that we come alongside to call somebody in a direction or toward something. When people come alongside us in a whatever stage of our lives that we are, sometimes especially when we are in a time of difficulty, and people come alongside us to renew or give us courage, to give us a new focus, a new sense of direction, a new hope, and that comes in different forms. It's not always just by, by giving uh, flattery or buttery kind of words. Sometimes we do that by coming alongside and saying, look, brother or sister, there, there's a better direction. And maybe we point them in a, in a direction that is different from what has been going along. Encouragement is not limited to only saying what we would consider positive things to an individual or a person. Especially as parents, we understand that. We come alongside our children, especially when they're infants, and, and we say, you know, son or daughter, there's, there's a better way, and we point that out to them. And sometimes it doesn't go over particularly well. And I don't think we should see encouragement as only saying things that the other person wants to hear, although that definitely is one of the things that we do. When we're in good times and people come alongside us to congratulate us, that's encouragement. But when we're in a tough time or when, we, when people come alongside us and sometimes point things out by way of constructive advice or constructive criticism, we might call it, that can also be a way of encouragement. And I think it's important for us to think about it in that way. In good times and bad, we have areas in our lives that are not as clear as they should be. And people come alongside us to warn us or to point us in a, in a, in a better direction. Hopefully that's done gently. But that's encouragement. That's encouragement. Encouragement is often described and commanded in the New Testament as an important character ministry. A ministry that the Bible calls us to develop and practice. And I've listed four reasons why we should take the ministry of encouragement very seriously. First of all, one of the reasons to take encouragement seriously is because it's, it's a need of our day. Now, I've heard people say that we should not be overly disturbed by the problems of our generations. It's just, well, we assign it to certain ways of thinking or we, uh, we have these terms that we use to describe uh, the different generations and those kinds of things. But at its core, we're just all have the same problems that every generation has. Perhaps the expression is a bit different. And there's definitely truths to, to um, every 
generation or every um, time period in, in, our, in history to have um, specific or certain challenges. I also tend to, to, to differ in just in, 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 uh, in, in the overarching um, concept of that. I believe that there are also problems that our generation, that we live in right here in 2019, there are also problems that we have that are more complex perhaps than the past generations. Um, perhaps in the past, generations uh, throughout history have only, only toyed with certain problems. Today have become epidemic crises of crime crises and prison crises and drug abuse crises and national and personal debt crises and, and um, suicide rates in, in our country and ethics and rebellion and the list could go on and on. We're, we're, we face specific crises in the world that we're living in today. And I feel my personal belief is that these crises at least in my lifetime, have become more noticeable and more complex and have grown. <clears throat> and if you have children in your home, especially if there's small children in your home, sometimes as parents we tend to look at these crises and we tend to look at what's happening in our world and we wonder what the next decades will bring. And I'll, I'll submit one thing for sure, and that is that our children are going to need a great deal of encouragement. In fact, I think we're living in a time where encouragement is, has become one of the particular ministries, maybe perhaps one of the most crucial ministries for the Christian family. As a father, um, as fathers, we wear various hats. Um, in my particular case, I am a provider, a leader, sometimes a disciplinarian. But I believe that the greatest calling, the greatest hat that I can wear as a father is that of being a cheerleader. More than anything else, the children and the ad adolescents in our home need supporting love. They need encouragement and they need cheering on by parents. And maybe I should add, especially by fathers. Part of the reason that children and adolescents are in trouble in our nation is because families are in trouble in our nation. And part of the reason, yeah, part of that extends into our own circles, maybe more than what we'd like to admit. One of the reasons that families are in trouble is because churches are in trouble. And... Yeah, the disturbing news that I read or statistics that I come across from time to time that disturb me, and that is that statistically speaking, there is sometimes very little difference between Christians and non-Christians, especially in the area of <clears throat> some of the things that I mentioned earlier and, and feelings in relation to the homes they grew up in and such things. <clears throat> One of the ways that we can especially encourage as, as parents or in the home is such things as daily and weekly time spent with, with uh, children. And I'm talking especially to parents and maybe even especially to fathers. Time 
Time spent with children. It is particularly easy in our society to, to um, think of parenting or time spent with children as something second rate or something that uh, takes up our leftover time and so on. And children sometimes are left to grow up in front of their playstations and, and in front of their uh, screen time, whatever sort that is. And as a result of that, boys sometimes grow up without a sense of what, of how a man ought to behave himself. And the same is true for girls. Too many children have too little experience, too little exposure to what healthy male-female relationships should look like. Well, sometimes there's a conversation that needs to be taken care of, but there seems to be less and less time for parents, and maybe especially fathers, to give focused attention on their children. And I submit that the results are devastating. <clears throat> it's something that we need to work on. Children who grow up without focused attention and without verbal encouragement grow into adolescence and grow into adulthood, and they apply that same concept that they've seen and they, the, the same worldviews that they've had modeled to them become part of their relationships. And I'm confident that we parents, and perhaps especially fathers, uh, we set into motion a far-reaching chain of effects um, when we give our children focused attention and we give them individual affirmation on things that they're doing well, when we express genuine appreciation and physical affection is expressed to especially our children. So our world is in need of encouragement. And it's my rather firmly held belief that that begins with us parents expressing that to our children. And it enables them, it qualifies them to then also give encouragement to people that, in their circles, whatever that is. I think it would go a long way to making our church a healthy and a safe place and a place where encouragement is given and expressed. Encouragement is the need of our day. Secondly, encouragement is the priority of God. I think it's very interesting. I just did um, a bit of uh, evaluation of scriptures that talk about um, God encouraging us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercy, and the God of all comfort. That's the, the Greek word, parakaleo who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. God the Father is an encouraging kind of father. And it's a model for any or all of us fathers to also ascribe to. In 2 Thessalonians verses two, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, notice... God the Son, Jesus, our Lord, encourages us. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself is an encourager. He encourages us. It's very interesting to me that in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. 
The Holy Spirit encourages us. I'm thankful for the fact that God gives us encouragement. He seeks to build us up, to point us in a direction that is not only good for us, that is good for us, but it also helps us to see him for what he is. And God is an encouraging kind of God. God is not a God that lets us alone to do and to become and to be whatever we want. He has a plan for our lives, a message that he wants to highlight in us and through us. And he brings things into our lives and people into our lives that, that guide us in a direction that, that he wants us to, to walk. John 14, in that same context, also tells us that God doesn't leave us comfortless or he doesn't leave us as orphans. He leaves us with an a, a encouragement. He doesn't leave us without encouragement. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are his workmanship. Philippians 1 tells us that God is something that finishes. He's a God that finishes what, has, what he starts. And he will perform that until the day of Jesus Christ, it says in Philippians chapter 1. Encouragement is the priority of God. Thirdly, encouragement is one of the purposes of the Bible. Think about it. How many of us and how many times as Christians when we're facing tough times, we turn to the Bible and it, it brings encouragement into our lives. Many of us have done that. Perhaps all of us. When we're facing difficult times, we, there's not a better place to turn than to the scriptures. The Bible is full of encouraging truths and promises. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, the Bible says this about its, itself. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, encouragement of the Scriptures can have hope. The Bible is written for the purpose of bringing encouragement to us. It's one of the underlying purposes of the Bible. In Paul's epistles... The words exhort and exhortation are the choice of words that has been translated. It's that same Greek word, parakaleo, as as we've seen some of the other words already. And these synonyms are given in interesting contexts. In 2 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. That word exhort there is that same Greek word, parakaleo. It's given in the context of, of, uh, uh, of building up and pointing uh, people in a direction. <clears throat> and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 Paul tells the church to be confident about their future. He tells them how that Christ is going to come back someday. He's going to receive the church to himself. And he tells them how that Christ would come back in the clouds. And at the end of this great teaching, at the end of this great truth, he says that we should comfort each other with that thought with these words. And in the very next chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 
he speaks even more about Christ's imminent return. And he tells us that we should encourage or comfort each other, even as also ye do, he says. I find that neat to see how the Thessalonians were a church that encouraged, and they did it by way of um, focusing on Jesus' soon and imminent return. One of the goals that I have for, as a preacher, for listeners of my sermons, is to be encouraged. And I hope... Um, probably as much as any one thing, I want people to, to listen to the words that are preached and to be encouraged, not because of some clever thing that I cook up, but because I pointed them to the Scriptures. I pointed them to Jesus, and that's my goal for this sermon and for any sermon. There's probably no place in Scripture where the Bible is as pointed and as explicit and emotional in its encouragement as in the Psalms. And I've just collected a few of these. Uh, Just some favorites of mine. Psalm 46, which is not on here. Psalm 45 and 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble, and so on. That's just from a few places in Scripture. Listen, brother or sister, when you're discouraged, there's not a better friend than the Bible. The words of Scripture itself are designed to point us to Christ, to point us in a specific direction and to give us renewed vision and renewed courage and and a direction in which to walk. There's a few instances or stories in Scripture that we're familiar with that talk about people being encouraged. My favorite is the time of the two disciples walking to Emmaus right after Jesus had died, been crucified and was buried, and they thought that was it. They thought it was all over. They thought they had been misguided. They thought they had been duped. And they were on their way home, I believe, to Emmaus. And as they walked and talked, Jesus joined them and walked and talked with them. And the Bible tells us that he showed them from the scriptures things about himself And when they reminisced on this later, after they realized that it was Jesus, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he opened to us the scriptures? And he revealed himself to them by the scriptures. I think one of the greatest things about that story is the difference, the noticeable difference, the dramatic change in these two disciples from the beginning of that story until the end of that story. There's hardly a greater encouragement that can ever be given than the giving of Jesus Christ to the world. I think through his death and burial and resurrection, there is the ultimate possibility for hope and the ultimate possibility for encouragement and renewed vision that can be uh, imagined. Because he lives, we too can live. Because he conquered death, we can conquer the things that we come in contact with in life. Even death itself, we can be more than conquerors, the Bible tells us. How do we know all of that? Well, we know it by reading the scriptures, by reading the Bible, by familiarizing ourselves with with the words of scripture. I think it's one of the primary purposes of the Bible is to give encouragement and to bring us to that place of, of encouragement and renewed hope and vision. Fourthly, encouragement begins a never ending process. 
And I've already alluded to this just a little bit, but encouragement is like a pebble thrown into the water. And while there's always an immediate impact, the ripples from throwing that pebble or rock into the water extend, sometimes all the way to the far bank. They continue indefinitely. When you have been encouraged, the first impulse is to encourage that individual back. Have you ever seen that? Your friend walks up to you and says encouraging things to you, and immediately you are motivated to encourage back. That's the cycle that I'm talking about. To give love and to receive love. To give encouragement and to receive encouragement. Encouragement is infectious. And I believe further that the only way that we can truly appreciate the encouragement that we get from others is to pass encouragement on. Really, that's the ultimate and only way that we can um, receive or be ultimately blessed by encouragement is when we give encouragement away. Somebody encourages us, and then we get hooked up with someone else, and we give that person a form, a word of encouragement. The same kind of encouragement that we were encouraged with. And the cycle goes on and on. There's no telling how far the extent or the effects of our words of affirmation can be. I think one of the times where we can encourage each other is after church. Um, I appreciate that about our church. And while it is maybe a little noisy and loud in here, and there's people uh, speaking in higher tones of voice than they would need to, the positive side of that is that we enjoy being around each other. And I think it's something to appreciate. And we can use our time of fellowship after services and other times to, to speak courage into the lives of other people, to point people in a direction in a, in a positive way. Encouragement is kind of like the five loaves and two fishes. It doesn't multiply until you give it away. <clears throat> We can give courage to people to walk in a positive way. There is an example in the, in the book of Acts about a man whose name was uh, Joseph, or Joseph. And he was such an encourager that they changed his name to um, Barnabas, and that means son of, son of courage or son of encouragement. His name was actually changed because of his reputation for being an encourager. How do you like that? He poured courage into other people's lives. And I'm just going to take the time to very quickly, in the book of Acts, uh, point out a few of these. Some of these stories are sort of familiar to us, so I'm not going to take the time to turn to it in Scripture. But he's introduced, first of all, in Acts 4. And he's given in direct connection or contrast to the story of Ananias and Sapphira, which follows his introduction. Barnabas also was the person who saw potential in Paul, or Saul, after he was converted. And everybody else was suspecting problems and suspected conspiracy. Barnabas was the one that befriended Saul, Paul, and a little later in chapter, in chapter 11, Barnabas is sent by Jerusalem to go down to Antioch. And 
The Bible tells us when he got there, he encouraged the believers to stick to God with purpose of heart is my own um, definition there. And at that pinnacle, at that point of Barnabas's ministry, when things were going well for him and he was in um, highly effective form, he thought of his friend Paul and he goes down to Tarsus, he finds Paul and he gets him involved as well. Barnabas was more concerned about the needs of other believers than he was about his own prominence. And I think that's neat to see. It's easy to see in Barnabas' life how encouragement rippled out all over the place and extended to other people. I'm just going to shift very briefly now and talk about how not to encourage. What is not encouragement? Perhaps the best example in scripture that I can think of, that I can find, of how not to encourage is the story of Job and his three friends. Job sums it up in chapter 16, verse 1, where he calls them miserable comforters. If that were translated into 2019, I think it would just say they were lousy encouragers. First of all, there was Eliphaz. He was the oldest and the first speaker. And he pretty much based every point of his speech on personal observation. Over and over, when when Eliphaz is talking, you see phrases like, I have seen. I have seen this. Here's something that I have seen. He relies very heavily on his personal experiences. Job, look what I've learned in life. In Job 4, Eliphaz rehearses a dream that he's had and how scared he was by the dream. And he uses that dramatic and sensational experience as a template for Job's problems. Let me tell you what I've experienced. And here, here's how, this rela- how that relates to what you're going through. <clears throat> Something to avoid. In chapter 4, he really gets going. In about verse 7, when he says, Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen... They that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Don't you feel encouraged for Job when you read those words? I think one of the most painful things that can be inflicted on troubled people is false guilt. And this can easily be done by very well-meaning people and something that, yeah, all of us need to work on. I think it's often done by people who have not done any kind of, um, or completely unfamiliar with the story. They have not talked to the people involved. They have not talked to, to um, the multiple angles. They are completely unfamiliar with the, with, the, with the situation. And in Job's case, we know the story because it's written for us in Scripture. But Eliphaz, for whatever kind of person he was, he was completely, totally mistaken. And then there was Bildad. Bildad is basically a legalist. And he was sort of a clone of Eliphaz in a lot of ways. In chapter 8, verse 20, I think his attempt to talk to Job is pretty much summed up by this verse in chapter 8, verse 20. He says, Behold, God will not cast away a perfect man, neither will he help the evildoers. I think he felt like, like Job had done something, there was something in Job's life, and because of that, he was being punished by God. 
Job, you're a mess because of your sin. And he goes even further in chapter 8, verse 4, where he says that Job's children probably died because of sin. They had sin in their lives. And here Job was, grieving over his losses. And Bildad says this. You know, if, if that's encouragement, nobody needs it, right? Then there's Zophar. He was kind of like a young preacher who never preached a sermon in his life. He had all the answers. He knows exactly what to say and how to say it. And one expression that Zophar repeats frequently is the phrase, know this. When you read Zophar, you see that over and over. Know this. He's got the answers. And you almost don't want to hear what follows when he says, know this. It makes you want to tune him out. I think the most discouraging speech award goes to Zophar in the book of Job. In Acts, um, um, Job chapter 11, he basically says that Job, if you think you have it bad, just think about how bad you'd really, just how you'd feel if you'd really got what you deserved. If you realize how bad a person you really are, Job, you wouldn't be so angry right now, he says. You wouldn't even, you're not even getting what you deserve, he says. How can that possibly be encouragement? Well, what can be learned from all of this? I think Job's friends bought rivers of words, lots of words, and there was no empathy. There was no, no understanding of, of what Job was feeling or what he was going through. There was no understanding of, of the, the broader context of Job's situation. They put almost no understanding. They had basically no understanding of, of the work that God was doing in their lives as a result of that. They weren't speaking to his pain at all. It just seemed that while Job is talking, they're formulating their next response. And I think it's, it's informative and instructive for us about how we can, things to avoid in our effort to come alongside other people. How not to encourage or how not to try to encourage or approaches, well, you know what I'm saying. <clears throat> if you stop and think about it, most of the Old Testament scriptures are written about people whose backs were to the wall. And much of the New Testament is written as encouragement to believers who were suffering discouragement, who were suffering pain of some kind. The epistles, the gospels, they were written to people who were experiencing hard times. And it was kind of the basis of much of the scripture. The stories of the Old Testament are written from that same perspective. And, you know, the Bible is very realistic about life, isn't it? One of the paramount lessons that we can learn from the book of Job is this, that we can never assume something that we cannot possibly know. And only God has, knows the true purposes behind our experiences. And it's just important for us as encouragers or encourager wannabes to, to keep that in our heads and in our minds. When I was growing up at home, we enjoyed playing games as a family. And it's precious memories that I have from times where we played games with dad. 
And occasionally we played dominoes. And dominoes is a game that's different than a lot of other games in the sense that the way to win is to spend all your dominoes. Many other games are accumulation. The, the, the person who has the most at the end of the game wins. Dominoes is different in the sense that in order to win, you have to give away all your dominoes. And the way to give away your dominoes is to identify with what's already been played. The person ahead of you lays a six, and so you identify and you play your six on his six, and so on. The more you identify with what's played, the faster you get rid of your dominoes. And when you've given all your dominoes away, you won. You're the winner. And I think we can practice encouragement in that same way. It comes by identification, understanding the context of what's in front of us. When we do that, we're the winner. And we've done service to the other person in pointing them in a good direction. I've just assembled some real practical ways, eight different things that we can do, eight relatively simple ways that we can encourage. We can do so by verbal encouragement. Speaking, obviously, is a simple way of encouragement. Saying words. Proverbs 16, verse 24 says, Pleasant words brings healing to the bones. Brings healing to somebody when you tell them how you appreciate some positive quality that you see in him or her. Share a verse of scripture that helped you in your own experience. Writing. Notes of encouragement. Letters of encouragement. And in our day, of course, we have the electronic version. Texts. Email. Simple little things. Take the time to express a word of encouragement. Thanks. Appreciation. Even a postcard. While that's an old form, can be done. But a note saying something like, I care, or I'm praying for you, can be a great source of encouragement for a person who's lonely or grieving or discouraged about some particular situation they're going through. And then we can encourage emotionally. The form of presence, just by being there. You don't even have to say a word. You don't even have to take the time to, to write a note. Being there, just being present is a way. And then there's the aspect of touch, where we connect with other people physically. Of course, this has to be done in the right context and with good, and, and good boundaries. But touching is a way that we can express our encouragement to other people. It's interesting and enlightening to notice in the Gospels the times where it says of Jesus touching people. And scientists and psychologists have noted many times the powerful aspect of appropriate and healthy touch. God has wired us that way. We want and desire interaction, this kind of interaction. And it's especially true for parents, but not only for parents. When our children especially, and perhaps other people, a high five or a fist bump, or just a healthy, timely hug. It can go a long way to expressing encouragement and pouring courage into the other person's life. And then there's practical ways, such as helping. 
Sometimes people feel like a heavy ocean liner and they need a tugboat or something to, to get them to the dock. And helpers, I think, are especially people that use ordinary skills. Somebody's moving and you, you drive in the lane with a pickup. It's just a practical way of helping, coming alongside. It shows that you care. A person needs a ride to the doctor. Or a tired mom needs her baby rocked or held for a while. Odd jobs such as shopping or sewing. Just numerous practical ways to come alongside and to help. And then, of course, there's giving. And people with the spiritual gift of giving are especially people who recognize this. A well-timed gift of money or a gift of food or a gift of whatever kind of, of time or just a bouquet of flowers uh, from a yard sale vase or something like that. Just a little gift of something. It shows a person that you care and it brings courage. Proverbs 21 verse 26 says, The righteous person gives without sparing. And then there are spiritual ministries. We can be involved in encouragement by showing hospitality, by hosting in your home. It can be a great way of bringing encouragement, that invitation, the effort for you to invite somebody to your home. I personally feel that this is an area that we could improve on as a church. Hospitality, inviting each other, inviting people who maybe you don't necessarily automatically think of. Um, invite them to your home. Share a meal with them. The word hospitality in the Greek actually means, literally means that there's a brotherly love towards strangers. But it has the verbal word picture of, of entertaining. Hospitality has the idea of providing a, a fun place for the person that you're entertaining. To, for them to leave your house engaged, inspired, motivated. That's hospitality. And then, of course, the spiritual ministry of praying. It can be a... Um, yeah, there's no telling the effects of prayer on a person. No matter what our circumstances are, we can and we must. We're encouraged, we're commanded in Scripture to pray for each other. And God hears those prayers. He hears the prayers of His people. He wants us to pray for each other. And just writing out a prayer in a journal for a person that you, that's going through a hard time. Perhaps even sharing that journal with your friend. Following that up with notes of encouragement or just coming alongside a person after church and laying your hand on their shoulder and maybe even having a prayer right in that specific time. Um, things that we can do. Practical ways to practice encouragement. <clears throat> I close this sermon by just asking a couple of questions. How are things for you? Are you the kind kind? Are you the encouraging kind? How are you are you like God our Father? And Jesus, our Lord, and our Holy Spirit, who give courage, who pour courage into people's lives. <clears throat> Are you willing to come alongside <clears throat> and encourage? Or are you only a person who feels like 
you are the one that needs encouragement. You're the one that needs encouragement, and perhaps you are. But how about being the encourager? How about extending courage or pouring courage into other people's situations? I think when, when we do that, we tend to get our mind and our heart off of our own needs. And I think it's actually God's plan for us. How are things for you? That's my challenge, and uh, primarily to myself and to all of us. <clears throat> if you're able to, I invite you to kneel for prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord, our Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We ask for your particular uh, grace and power to fill our lives, especially as we interact with each other and with people in our uh, circle of work or friends. I pray, Lord, that you would just show us how we can come alongside each other to call, to call people in a direction, in a better way. And ask, Lord, that you would show us how we can do that how we can empathize, how we can um, observe the greater context and how we can share that in a way that draws and um, produces courage. And, and we ask, Lord, that you would just um, continue to enlighten us and show us how we can do that. More than anything, I pray, Lord, that all of us in this auditorium and in the sound of my voice would receive courage from you, would receive that message of hope and renewed vision from Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you for your word and how it speaks to us and how it blesses us and encourages us. I pray that you would show us how we can make your word, uh, give it a very high place in our lives and to um, follow its teachings, to obey it, to submit to your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would use all of that to bring much glory and honor to yourself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.